Welcome back to the Be A Better Ally podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. On today, we have an extraordinary conversation in store. Before I tell you more about this week's guest, I want to let you know that over there in the show notes, you can find a link to a free guide that is hot off the presses from myself. Uh, this is a joint collaboration between the work that I do with Ally Ed and Shifting Schools. Y'all are probably already aware that this time next week will be the eve of Pride 2023. This guide sets you and your colleagues up to be thinking about the intersection of AI literacy and LGBTQ plus inclusion. Inside the free guide is a special framework that you and your team are welcome to learn your way through. And I also want to let you know that at the very end of the guide, there is a link to learn more about my course on LGBTQ plus inclusion and media literacy and there's a special promo code for you to take 25 US dollars off that course. I want to remind you that with every single purchase of that course, we donate money to the amazing folks at the nonprofit organization Pride and Less Prejudice. So over there in the show notes, you're also going to find a link to learn more about them. If you're a longtime listener, you know I've been talking about that nonprofit org for a while now. If you are looking for an action to take, for pride. If you can make a contribution to Pride and Less Prejudice, I would remind you that this is a critical time to do that. If you're not in a position to be able to make a donation, follow them on social media, subscribe to their free newsletter, and help get the word out about what Pride and Less Prejudice are doing for schools across North America. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this week's extraordinary guest. I was overjoyed to get the great privilege of sharing time and learning from Professor Marla Hunter, who happens to be the founder and president of Live Love Teach LLC, a global education consulting firm. Professor Hunter has worked with many global organizations and presented to numerous leaders to help create more inclusive organizations. She's an expert in providing training in DEI with a focus on unconscious bias, cultural competence, inclusive leadership, women's advancement, authentic leadership and allyship, ed tech, teacher self-care, and math talks. She is also an avid curriculum development and instructional designer. In the show notes, you are also going to find lots of links for you to learn more about Professor Hunter as well as to follow her on social media. Enjoy our conversation. Live Love Teach LLC's mission is to globally empower educators, students, parents, and companies through a relevant learning experience that improves achievement. It is our, well, your goal, to provide resources and programs that engage all members of the community in continuous professional growth. <clears throat> I am wondering, Professor Hunter, if you can take us back to the origin of that mission statement you have uh, and maybe even share with us a foundational experience that really shaped the aims um, and how you wanted to see it interacting with communities. Um, I think it starts back probably like when I was in third grade. Um, maybe, no, let's take it back second grade-ish. Um, my mom is a professor as well. So two professor hunters. <laughs> um, and now that I'm married, I, sometimes like my my students now, I, they go between because they knew me as Professor Hunter in the uh, in the beginning. And then I was Professor Hooper. So I, I go by both. But in second grade, my mom decided that um, she wanted more from my brother and I. Uh, as far as education is concerned. So just a background, I'm first generation American. Um, my, both my parents are Jamaican. So school, schooling is, is a huge thing within West Indian Caribbean um, culture. Um, school is it. Uh, so 
I remember my mom saying to me growing up, you can watch as much as TV as you want to when you graduate from college. And I thought she was mad. I didn't understand what she was talking about. It didn't make sense. But as as a child growing up, um, my mom wanted us to be successful. And but it wasn't just about us. It was about everyone being successful. So she started. um a academic it started off with an academic summer camp so we would do academics in the morning to prepare us for the next school year and then in the afternoons it was fun so field trips swim lessons like anything you can imagine that's what we did um it is in the fall of my third grade year is when she decided to add on another component to her her business. And at that time, it's called personal and career development. Um, And she started a tutoring side. So she had tutoring in the after school and she had grants through the city of Memphis where she had a van and she would employ somebody to pick people up. And that's where it started for me. Um, this whole experience of doing what I love and helping others came from my mom. And so when I eventually changed my major and undergrad from being three years as a biochemistry pre-made, because I thought I wanted to be a doctor and work with children in that form, and literally almost dropped out of school, like lying in my bed. And my mom have to be like, um, we're going to take this Myers-Briggs test and see where it is you might fall because she's a psychologist. So always psychoanalyzing me, which is okay. <laughs> um, and she's like, you know, I think you're calling my be education. And I was like, huh, really? She said, well, Marley, you forget you're all, you've been teaching Zoom lessons too. So you've always worked with kids. I said, okay, well then let's try it. I mean, (laughs) what else is there to do? So I went into education. Um, From from 2004 to 2007, I was in, I was doing, um, working in adult education. And then um, and at that point with that, I realized that I really, really loved it working in like a classroom setting. Um, and then when I finished my program, I then moved over to, um, K through eight education, working in Memphis city schools. Um, that's what they were at that time. And then also then moving off into Nashville and working for Metro Nashville public schools for eight years. Um, and it's during that time in Nashville that my principals um, at the school would ask me to help with certain things. And they were just like, you're a natural with helping people. And that's where this came up, this whole idea. And at that time it was, I live, I love, I teach. And then I was like, okay, that's a mouthful. And this, so I just dropped the eyes and just live, left with live, love, teach. So that's where this came from. Um, my mom jokes and says that, honestly, um, before manifestation became a big thing, I was manifesting this from kindergarten. She has pictures that she likes to show me and remind me of me drawing my life with travel and teaching. And clearly I had no idea I was doing that in kindergarten, but drawing and teaching and working with with adults and with children of all ages and and doing what it is I do right now. So um I guess I was manifesting my life before manifestation was a big deal. I I love that because in a kind of like meta way, the idea that you don't just work with teachers, you don't just work with children, you don't just work with parents or companies, but they're all you all you work with all of those audiences. And at the same time, 
there was a factor of each of those in the story of the company coming to be right like mm -hmm. your, your parents support having you know kind of a peer also mentor and i, I kind of wanted to touch like just gently push back on something you said there where um you know you said i think it was your principal who said you are a natural when it comes to helping people and sometimes i think when people say that it's a compliment but it can also take away from all of the hard work like i'm mm -hmm. guessing sometimes it might look like oh this is just some sort of skill that you woke up with but i don't know my my experience is that's very rarely the case like there's a lot of hard work there or there's understanding or awareness that you had to cultivate i'm wondering if you want to talk a little bit about what that means because you are working to support varied audiences and i think there's a different skill set for each of those so when you think about your role of facilitating supporting others or tell me I'm totally wrong that yes, you no, feel like it, no. it was a, a natural, a natural thing that you woke up with or, you know, was there something there that, you know, really has helped you understand so, what it means so to be supported? I'm glad you, you're pushing back on that because it makes me think of like a plaque that I had in my bathroom growing up or when, when I became an adult quote unquote and living in my own house and doing all I had a plaque in my bathroom that says mirror mirror on the wall I am my mother after all <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> so, honestly I I am 100 percent Marcia Marcia Hunter's daughter um the the whole thing of loving it started with me saying, I'm not going to do things like my mom did because she was helping people so much. And like, nobody, it, it's like, I could see that sometimes she wasn't getting recognition or passed over, but it didn't seem to bother her. And I'm like, hell, this bothers me that it's not bothering you. But then when I started building habits for myself that's helping people or doing certain things that I was like okay this is just right for me to do <clears throat> I then realized okay I, I I understand more of why my mom did or still does what she does whereas like giving her I never understood why she would give her students her grown college students her number and at that time you know there was no cell phone so they're calling our house all hours of the night and i was like don't they pay attention in school didn't they read the syllabus <laughs> but i realized now that yes at, at sometimes like yeah it is a lot of work that goes into it but there's one of the things that i realized for myself i don't do anything that that i don't enjoy once it gets to a point that i don't enjoy it anymore i'll quit and so people are like, you'll quit a job. I sure will. I will, I will quit a, I will quit a job. I'm not quitting my career because there's a difference. I might be quitting the place where I'm currently doing the work and seek somewhere else that's better fitted for me, but I'm not quitting working with people. I'm just quitting being in a place that does not make me feel comfortable. That does not this does not mesh with me and who I am and who I'm growing to be. Um, do I get irritated sometimes that um, people just want to pick your brain per se? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, sometimes it does. But then I realize that sometimes people just don't know how to go about it. And so you have to teach them how to treat you um and then give them a sprinkle of what it is and then step back and then let them try to figure it out but then also it's okay to say no um at one point in time in my life when I decided to go abroad and teach my cousin was like live a and this is before um when the the lady that wrote the book um year of yes shonda rhimes yes before shonda rhimes wrote the book year of yes 
my cousin was telling me, you need to live a life of yes. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm living this life of yes. I'm going to say yes to everything, but I also know that means I can say no. And so that's what I do now. So I don't get so much upset. I might get a little irritated. And when I feel like I'm getting irritated, I need to, I step back and say, what about, what about what's happening right now? This situation is irritating me because honestly, I am a very extremely sensitive person and I will cry at a drop of a hat, especially if I'm very frustrated. So I have to put myself in a place where it's like, okay, Marla, um, what is bothering you right now? Why is it bothering you? And what do you need to do? So this is not a problem for you because clearly it's not a problem for the other person, but you're going to have to be the one that deals with it. So yeah, that's how I go about it. <laughs> Well, I, I love that because, you know, I love that you brought up the year of yes. You know, the other quote that I am now forgetting who to attribute this to, I will Google this when we're off the call, is the idea that no is a complete sentence. Mm -hmm. I love that because I think it's also when we're talking about maintaining our boundaries, we also don't have to, the other person does is not entitled to know why they can't pick your brain in that moment or, you know, um, I, and I think in this era that we're living in where i just saw you know research come out that education is the industry with the highest rate of burnout you know you're reminding me of i think it is because it is so difficult to maintain boundaries when you work in the yeah. field of education mm -hmm. um but the idea that love is at the center of your llc's name you know i really like you know my wife and i talk about this a lot that when we are maintaining our boundaries it is an act of love because what that does, I think, is it makes whatever the nature of that relationship, if it's collegial, it's family, it's friendship, it actually, I think, ends up making it more sustainable, right? So it doesn't get to that place where like, I'm just going to ghost that friendship or I'm just going to start like, you know, avoiding that colleague. Like this well, here's is the thing. There's nothing wrong with that either. True. Honestly. Yeah. I don't, I, I've. I think I've gotten to the point in my adulthood that realizing that there's nothing wrong with ghosting somebody if if it's for your sanity. Like we think about ghosting somebody and thinking that it's bad, but if somebody is making you feel a certain way and you don't have the words to be able to express to this person then you gotta just yeah. let it be like Elsa and let it go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I that's uh, I, I I agree with that, and like I have ghosted people. I am not a uh, you know I I have not uh, not done that, and, <laughs> and you're right. Um, but I I appreciate you kind of talking that through because I think it's a message that we need to hear again and again. Right? Is especially when you're in a position like yours where I can see that folks you are both probably a direct and an indirect mentor where people are learning from you and you don't even know them. And that idea of, you know, can I just, can I have a coffee? Can we chat? That kind of, you know, I, I think sometimes people underestimate how many times that person has been asked that and, you know, you know, sometimes feels entitled to that free labor. And I think it's really important for folks to just remember nobody's entitled to your time, energy, expertise, wisdom. I agree. I agree. I think like when people do this and they say, oh, they want to put a price tag to everything, you have to decide who is it hurting and who is it helping with putting a price tag like on every single thing. Um, because there are many times where I've grabbed a coffee with someone or like grabbed a lunch and I, I knew what it was about in the first place, but I just let it go. Um, how that person has come back to me and ended up helping me in some shape, form, or fashion. Um, and even if they don't, you see them doing well or maybe not doing well as they want to have been doing, but knowing that 
You, you played some kind of impact in their life, whether they want to recognize it, uh, recognize you or not. Um, and I think sometimes that makes me feel better because it's like, okay, you thought you didn't need me, but you really did. <laughs> Well, you know, and it's interesting because, you know, you also help people with something that I think you've done a really great job of framing this on social media, that some people might not understand how impactful it is to know how to swim. So you are also the founder of Live, Love, Swim. And I'm wondering that work with, you know, water safety, with also like the joy of swimming, the, you know, the joy of movement how that maybe merges with the DEIJ work you do with educators. Cause I feel like, you know, like the lit teacher in me wants to make all of the metaphorical connections, like the deep end versus the kiddie pool, having floaties, you know, um, but I'm, I'm wondering if, if there's a story you have from one company that's been pivotal for you in the other, or kind of like a moment of insight that you've had doing work with one where you're thinking there's a lesson for me here in the other work so live last one was my baby this is my baby because this was my first like when i say first company at the age of 15 so i've been swimming <laughs> my mother tells me the story of when she put me in swim lessons at the mason ymca which is no longer open the mason ymca was one of the oldest YMCA's in Memphis, Tennessee, but also was the only one that still did housing of men. Hmm. So, um, yeah, but now it's no longer open. It closed down probably many, many moons ago. But my mom said I was in daycare. I went, um, They we had some lessons and she said, that I came home and I was like, mommy, I drowned today. And she's like, what? She said that swim lesson was beginning and they were giving us a tour of the pool. And I decided that I wanted to jump in the deep end. And I jumped in the deep end. And when the lifeguards had to come get me, but that was the beginning of my, of this three-year-old swimming career. <laughs> so, um, my mom, I went all the way up in swimming and swim lessons until you, the highest you can go. So basically all you're left with is swim team. I did swim team, did synchronized swimming, um, became a lifeguard and swim instructor. And then when I got my job at 15, I ended up getting my job at the same place where I learned how to swim at the Mason YMCA. So I was there for, for was it 11 years? I worked there for 11 years. Um, but one of the things that I recognized while I was there is that I was the only one, I was the only black female. And at that time, I just, I shouldn't even say black female. I was the only black person who was year round. Like I was the only one year round. Now, I had some colleagues who I went to high school with who worked there, but during school, they they didn't work. Well, after school, I did. Um, but I was year-round the only Black swim instructor, the only Black um, lifeguard. And I can remember one time a parent didn't want their child in uh, to be with me because they they actually said that black people can't swim that their bones are our bones are too dense and we drown and i was like huh and my boss was like no that's not true it's older white lady she's like that's that's not true. Matter of fact, Marlison very well. And, you know, she was like, we're not going to change your child's swim instructor, but you can get your money back. Um, And so the person was very upset. Uh, other parents were surprised. Um, 
And I was like, okay, this says a lot because I, I paid attention to it, but I didn't pay attention to it. But then it really had me looking around who it was that I was teaching. Mm. That the pool literally was full of white children. And I was like, there's nobody that looks like me here to teach swim lessons to. And the only time I did have black children or even um, children of other ethnicities other than white was in the summer when there will be discounted swim lessons or they were given some kind of grant or scholarship to be able to do it. And I was like, so I only see these these children that look like me probably one time out of the out of the year. Um and then when people started finding out that I did swim lessons, you know, I started getting calls at that time and I was like, okay, this is a thing. Um, so I started, it was really word of mouth because there was no Facebook then. There was was nothing. Yeah. So it was really word of mouth, um, about whether or not people wanted swim lessons from me. Um, I started off before kids first, mostly I started off with adults. So these were adults coming back wanting to learn how to swim because they were getting ready to go on vacation. And they were like, we never took swim lessons as kids. It's like, okay, well then let's do it. So here's this now 16, 17 year old (laughs) working with people who are two, three times my age and absolutely loving it. Um, And this kind of ties back into why I became an educator. Because when I would decide I was going to drop out of school, my mom was like, so what are you going to do? I was like, I could be a lifeguard and swim instructor all my life. I don't need this. I have a job. I don't, I don't have to, I don't have to go and get a degree. And my mom was like, you know, you're absolutely correct. She said, but with how people behave, you need to have some kind of paper behind your name. And I was like, this is dumb. This is stupid because I've counterparts that don't have to go about doing this, but I have to. And my mom had to break down the whole thing of, yeah, it's not fair, but this is how it works for people who look like you. Um, that you always, you know, you always have to almost have to one up people in order to be successful in, in some things. So it's funny that even today that I'm still doing this and people are surprised because like when people find out even now, oh, you, you coach swimming? I said, yeah, for 27 years. And they're like, what? For 20, 20, 27 years. It's like, yeah, this was my first job at 15. And then people look at me and they're like, how old are you? <laughs> <laughs> And then kids that I teach, sometimes they're like, Coach Marla, can you really swim though? I was like, am I not teaching you how to swim? Do you think? I said, okay, so let's, do you want me to swim? What would you like me to do? And then they'll give me what, okay, well, since we're doing freestyle, can you freestyle down? I was like, yeah. And I'll do a flip turn, come back. And I do it and they are, they sit there, they stand there in amazement because they're like, oh, you can swim, swim. I was like, yeah. And that's also the conversation that I have with people when they say to me, oh, well, I know how to swim. I'm like, but do you? (laughs) 
do you really know how to swim? And they're like, yeah, I know how to swim. Say, okay. So here's the difference. I said, there, if, if you're telling me you know how to swim, then I'm going to say to you, swim the length of the pool and come back and you can't stop. So you touch the wall and you turn back or you do a flip turn and you turn back. So you need to do one full lap, which is down and back. I said, can you do that? With your face in the water, not face out of the water. And they're like, no. I said, well, do you feel okay being in the deep end or at any part of the, yeah. I said, okay, so you have water safety rather than knowing how to swim. And there's a difference. You're okay. You feel comfortable in the water. You can go down. You you can you can do a little doggy paddle out there or even like maybe a nice little stroke out to the other side and you can hang out. Uh you won't drown. You won't be in the act of drowning. Um but that's because you have water safety. But you don't know how to swim. And when I explain to people like that, they're like, oh, says, yeah. And also parents, when you decide that, okay, my kids know how to swim. They took swim lessons in the summer. Well, swimming is like school. Do you say, oh, I'm going to go to first grade and now I'm done. And they're like, no, we keep going. I said, Exactly, because there are different techniques, there's different strokes, there's different ways to tread water, there's there's all these other aspects that go on with swimming than just these two weeks of swimming that you lessons that you might do in the summer. And when I again, because I have this education background now, and then also explaining to them how it goes with swimming, they're like, okay, that makes sense. So like, yeah, exactly. I almost feel like maybe there's a comparison to be made between what you're calling water safety and management versus swimming and leadership. Mm. Um, you know, and, and you, I, I am not a good swimmer. Like I have some water safety, but even now I'm at that point where like, I don't love open water swimming like it's uh, not and, and that's a different thing that's a whole nother beast pool versus open water yeah yeah so you know you you have me wondering too you know coaching and helping an adult learn to swim i think in the work that i do working with adults sometimes in schools, I feel like we over intellectualize what we're doing and it makes it easy sometimes for people to like hide the vulnerability piece. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, my guess is that, you know, like if you were helping me become a stronger swimmer in open water, like you would know entirely exactly like how nervous, how worried, like my anxiety would be, there would be no hiding it. Not that maybe I, I can't hide it in other situations either, but, um, I'm wondering how maybe that helps you tap in as a facilitator, like just understanding that empathy piece. I think, you know, sometimes it's easy to forget that, especially when someone feels like they've got all the degrees, the certifications, they are the teacher, they are used to being seen as the quote unquote expert, that when they are back in that leaner learner seat, that of course there's some vulnerabilities there. Like does working with folks, as a swimming coach mentor, do you feel like you have more access to awareness around I that? do. And I will say that, not that I don't enjoy working with the children, which I love work, I would love working with all ages, but I, I will always say that I, I, I won't say prefer, but I really, really enjoy exponentially working with adults in, in swimming. And the thing is that because adults need explanation, kids, I can just tell them what to do and I can show them how to move their legs or I can hold it up to a certain point or I can put a pool noodle underneath them and they can feel it. They feel the difference. Whereas adults, I have to be technical. I have to explain to you why you're not moving anywhere. 
or I have to explain to you why you are moving, but you're moving backwards. Um, and I get joy out of seeing this light go off because, you know, water means that you have to have trust. It's a whole thing of, of trust because I tell people, you can, you can drown in a bathtub. So water, you have to decide to just let go and relax because as soon as you tend, and this is why people drown because they've gotten to a point where they're not sure what is happening and then now they're struggling and their body tenses up. And because you've tensed up, you are now rigid and your body doesn't know what to do. And all there is, is now you've gotten heavy. And so now you're just sinking. And so that, that, that becomes, that becomes the issue. So it's a whole thing of building this trust with the water but also trusting me as your swim coach that I, I'm not going to let you drown and that everything really is going to be okay. And if you let me know, and that's one thing I talked I talk through it the whole time. Let me know what your fears are. Let me know what you're not ready to do. I'm not going to push you to do anything that you're not ready yet. But if I do push you, it's because... I see that you are ready, but you just might not have the confidence enough. So I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Um, and, and that also relates within the whole education piece because children and adults expect that educators know everything. And I go in saying, I say to all my classes, and, and I've been saying it, this, just because I have a degree in education, doesn't mean that I know everything. I do not know everything. And <laughs> it surprises children to hear an adult tell them, and, and this is at any age, I don't know everything. And then I, I let them know, I'm learning from you just as much as you're learning from me. There are different things that you can teach me that, that I might've not thought about it this way. So let's learn together. And I realized that for me opens up a door in all aspects of learning that allows people to be more vulnerable so that they can get whatever it is that they're trying to get from whatever it is that they're trying to do. Mm. It's beautiful. And you kind of have me convinced. I, I've often thought if you lead, facilitate, consult in any area, it's really great to have kind of like a mirror practice that helps you kind of play between like, even what you were saying about like the idea of like, if you tense, you're going to sink, right? So if you can't be learning in that state of relaxed, like, you know, having trust with the person who is is leading you, like, I would say that's true in any arena. Um, yeah. So anyway, thank you for, for sharing about both of those practices. Like it was really beautiful to hear how kind of intertwined they feel. And, and again, that, that trust piece as such a, a core, it's a good reminder. Um, the work that you do in higher ed, I am wondering if you feel like you are uniquely positioned to see the impact that K-12 education is having, given that, you know, you're seeing folks that graduate out of that system as a professor. <laughs> um, and I'm wondering, like, how does that factor into the consultancy work that you do? Kind of seeing, okay, so this is this is where folks are coming. This is where K-12 is, is helping them to get. Mm -hmm. So... When I, first of all, my mom has been, my mom's been pushing me to do higher ed for years. And I was like, yeah, no. And then when I finally did it, I was like, yeah, you're right. I should have been doing this a long time ago. But when you, I think there's different factors of it. So 
within the higher ed system that I I work in, I'm strictly do culturally relevant pedagogy and teaching. Um, and with that, when people hear it, they're like, what? And I'm like, okay, so what I do is help un people understand culture and how to bring it into their classroom. And it's more than just changing the names in your textbook or your math test or, or anything else that you're doing. It's a truly about understanding who your students are, where they come from, the environment where they live, what they do, who their parents are, like everything that makes up this, this young person and then how to implement that within their your classroom. But then not only that, having them look at whatever it is that you're teaching in a way that lets them know they see it and use it every day, but it's just not in the manner that they thought they were using it. Um, so my expertise, it, expertise is math side. So anything that's dealing with math and science. Now, do I do literacy? Yes. But my love is math and, and science. So I do elementary and also secondary. Um, so this is K through 12 that I'm working with, with educators in. Especially in the secondary part of it, is the hardest for my teachers to see because one, you know, they're they're pretty young. Um <laughs> thinking about it right now in one of my class, it was uh um literacy in the content area. So their the whole part of this math class was how can I superimpose literacy in all aspects of mathematics? And it doesn't matter. And, and it's all secondary mathematics. So one of, we were in a class and one of my students, she was talking and then she's like, yeah, because my, you know, my brain is not fully developed yet. Like, what? And I just had to stop. And I said, huh? What do you, what? She's like, Professor, do you know my brain is not fully developed yet? So there are some things that happen that is just going over my head. To stop. Because these are people that I've worked with and they're graduating next week. I've worked with for the past two years and I did not think about that at all. So I had to stop and I was like, okay, press pause on the work that you all are doing. Please raise your hand if you are 24 and under. Out of a class of about 22, like 13 raised their hand. And I was like, oh, like literally if I had pearls, I was clutching them because I was like, this, this makes sense now. And they're like, what? I said, you all's behavior. It makes sense. It makes so much sense now. Makes sense why I have to call you all all the time, why I'm texting, why, why you all don't respond to emails. I said, it makes sense. You're right. You all are still trying. Your prefrontal cortex is not fully developed yet. Thank you. I'm sorry it took me so long to realize this. And we had, it took two years for me to, to figure this out. So then my next question, okay, so how many of you all range between 25 and 28? At about two or three. Then I was like, okay, how many of you all are older than 28? I had like four. And I said, hmm. They're like, what? I said, those who raised their hands to be older than 28, it shows in their capacity of work and, and their timeliness. And we just sat and we just talked about it. I said, and this is one thing that I preach all the time. It's like, and I tell this to every class. I said, you know, 
doesn't matter if you're religious or not. I, I really don't care. Um, but one thing that I am going to tell you, if you don't remember anything out of anything that I've said to you while you're with me, I want you to remember you should always extend grace and mercy to your students. And they're like, what? I was like, yes, grace and mercy. I said, you know, when you call me or text me in the middle of the night, when a, uh, something is due the next day and I give you an extension, I said, it's not for me, it's, it's for you. I said, when you don't show up for class and I check on you or you've missed series of class and I don't punish you for that, um, I don't, I don't give you a bad grade because you've missed my class, but I allow you time to make up whatever it is, whether you have an excuse, a reliable excuse or not. I said, I'm extending grace and mercy to you because I remember it being extended to me as a student. And so therefore, think about, think about me when you're talking to your students. When they're doing things that you know they shouldn't be doing or you know they have missed a whole heap of things, they're just cutting up. You need to extend to them grace and mercy. And I had a student one day, we were doing something and he sends me a message and he's like, Professor, I've messed up. As much times as you've been pe preaching grace and mercy, to us, I never, I never really extended it to my students. And now that I'm seeing how much you've done for us, I really have to go back and do that. I said, and good. I said, and when you go to class tomorrow, you need to apologize to your students. And he was like, what? I said, you need to apologize to them. Apologize to them, explain it to them where you messed up. And how you're going to fix it. You're creating, just like we do restorative circles here, you need to have a restorative, you need to restore what was broken. Fix what you messed up. And in order to do that, you need to apologize. I I think that's one of the serious things that's happening within education, period. Like, we still sometimes have this mentality that children at any age, they should be seen and not heard. They should shut up and do what it is that we tell them to do, forgetting that they are people and that they have thought processes and they're thinking about things of their own, or they have ways of figuring out something that might not be ours, but their way works for them. And we're not giving that, we're not giving them that outlet. That's what culturally relevant teaching and pedagogy, that, that's, that's what it's really about, is allowing them to see themselves within whatever it is that's being done. And allowing them to see themselves, but then saying, the world might not see you, but how can I help you see you? Mm -hmm. When people say, oh, we don't want CRT and they're thinking critical race theory. Yeah, because we don't do critical race theory in school. That's a, that's Our students are not in law school. What we do is culturally relevant teaching. And that means building a climate and culture into your classroom that makes everyone feel seen and heard. And and that, I, I really feel like that is what is missing. I hear that in so many ways, you know, sometimes in the work that I do, I will have a school leader say, you know, we've got a real engagement problem, like students aren't engaging with the learning. And so like, you know, we'll have a conversation and it's like, you have a relevance issue, like there's no... <laughs> There's no connection to, you know, what you're trying to do here and, and who your students are, what context they are living in. And your message about that, you know, extending grace and mercy, I would almost argue that has never been more important than it is right now. When you think about 
state of the world. Um, this question is going to go a little bit long. Try to stay with me here if you can. <laughs> Um, we just finished watching a series called Extrapolations on Apple Plus. It's like climate fiction. And I was listening to an interview with one of the showrunners who was saying, you know, a lot of um, climate fiction is actually like so far in the future where it's sort of like we had no chance. It's all over. It's doomed. And she said, what I wanted to do is tell the story of the time in which we could still make choices. And I wanted to tell the story of what children who are alive right now, here's how the science is going to play out. Um, and she was like, you know, when we are talking about kids who are maybe experiencing anxiety and we're not thinking about what many of them are aware of is likely to be going on with the environment. And that really, really resonated with me. And that idea that, um, you know, as a science educator, I think that science communication piece can be really powerful. And I was thinking that is really interesting that I've never really seen a show before that is looking at this period in which we can still be making decisions. Mm. And I also feel kind of strongly that our educational system is at like this tipping point too where um it is in crisis mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. you know we are struggling kind of worldwide to have folks want to go into a profession that also does not necessarily see them as human <clears throat> absolutely um, and i you know i'm kind of wondering in this period when we can still make some decisions hopefully to try and get education back to where we would like it to be your message about grace and mercy is there any other message that you're thinking you know we're kind of in graduation series that you're thinking folks who are exiting a maybe a teacher education program a message that also kind of maybe is linked to that grace and mercy or just another lesson in decision making or something that you're hoping a graduate from your swim course um, might take with with them in these in these critical times. That was a very winding question. I'm so sorry. Feel free to be like no. pass. <laughs> Breaks are needed. Breaks are needed. I think about my own education career. And I used to call myself a professional student. I think I think I still am. Um, sometimes, I mean, I'm I'm glad the way my trajectory went, but sometimes I feel like if I could do it all over again, I probably wouldn't have gone off to college right away. Um, that. It's okay if you don't, if you decide university is not for you because it's, it, we like to say it's not for everybody, but it's not that it's not for everybody. It's just that it's not a perfect fit for everybody. That shoe does not, that, that shoe is not made for everybody. Um, and so everybody needs to have their own outlet of what it is they want to accomplish and how they want to accomplish it. Um, I don't think that it's said enough because, it, it, and especially with even the educators that I work with right now, because even though they do this, they're in this master's program, they are also teachers of records. Like they start in this program as teacher of records so that they are literally having on the job training. And one of the things that I say, I'm like, you know, not all of you all are going to finish this program. I said, and that's, that's not a bad thing. It's just a thing of you realizing that this might not be the good fit for me. And some of you all may finish this program and then decide, I don't want to be in the classroom anymore. And it's not that you're giving up on education or, be, or being an educator. There are other facets of education. And it doesn't mean that you have to stay in the classroom. Like for me, everybody says, oh, you'd be a great administrator. 
I know I would be, but I don't like politics because I do not have a poker face. And if you come to me bringing me some foolishness in my mouth, the words that come out my mouth might not say it, but my face is giving you every cuss word imaginable if you bring me foolishness. And so therefore, I know that I like the work I do. So being admin is not one of those things I've ever, ever, ever wanted to do and ever will do. No, no. So especially for those who are trying to say, okay, well, because we know on any level of education, we have a we have a deficit of educators. And this is from K through 12, university, um, uh, community college, whatever, it doesn't matter. We don't have enough teachers, period. So the want of getting educators. I, I I think it becomes problematic because then we're just like, oh, we'll take any, okay, we'll take any warm body. And that, that ends up blowing up in our faces because then we, we want to talk about, oh, well, our students have learning loss. And there was always a learning loss. COVID, all COVID did was open up the door a little bit wider. Wash some of those windows off. Take the rose color off your glasses so you can actually see the deficits that are that some of our children have because they were there. They've been there. There's no difference. Like really, there is none. It's just that now you see. Now you know. Now you understand that your child is not doing well. Now you know that teachers are, are having a hard time. Now you know schools are not well-equipped or you have one school versus another because this school over here has better, has all the grants, all the equipment, everything, and the school that's a, that is the neighbor school, neighborhood school has the scraps. And so then people have burnout. And so I tell mine, you have your days, use them. Well, I don't have any more days. Yes, you do. If you're okay with not getting paid, but rather have your mental health, pick one. Because people are dying in the classroom. People are stressed out. Your life is more important. And this is coming from someone who nearly died in 2013 being in the classroom my my sister-in-law would tell me all the time marla you just do too much you do you're putting too much energy and you're always at the school you're and i thought my babies need me they need me well one thing that i forget you are also easily replaced when I got sick, I got shingles in my right eye. And when, mm. you know, when you think of Batman and you see like Two-Face, that's how I looked. Literally lesions all on the right side of my face and my head. It has left me with permanent nerve damage on the right side of my body and in and out blindness in my right eye. That, That's what stress did to me. Because I was thinking that nobody could do the work but me, which isn't true. Because when I got ill, I was quickly replaced. And so I have to tell people all the time, especially those who want to go into education, this career is a beast. And you have to decide what part of it you want to deal with and what part you don't. Because when you get into it on any aspect, whether you're working with early childhood, working with 
um, elementary, middle school, high school, collegiate, whatever. You have to carve out what's best for you and how you're going to go about it so that you can be successful and the people that you work with and for are successful. And that when time is up, it's up. Mm-hmm. Like teachers that I work with, I have to tell them you can't stay every day after school. Pick one day, make a list on your side of the board of things that you have to get done. And that's your running list. You set a timer for an hour, and whatever you get done with, that's it. And you pack up your shit and you go. Because if you don't, you'll be like me. If I mentor a teacher, Miss Moore, being at the school to 10, 11 o'clock at night, thinking you're just doing great things. And you are. You are doing great things. But your health is not doing great. And so that, that like, when I think about this and the impact and in, 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 in everything as a whole, it's just like, I, I am... I'm really about being honest about what education looks like where we are right now. It's not easy. It's not easy. Um, And sometimes it's not as fun as it used to be because you have all these mandates and all these do's and you, these don'ts, all these um lesson plans that are already created for you so you're not being able to be as creative as you want to be anymore depending on your district and so you have to follow this script and so therefore some of my teachers are like how can I be culturally relevant when I can't deter off this script (laughs) and I have to be like you know you have to create a system of support at your school where you all and they're like, what? I said, yes, text messages save lives. Like you all know, you know when your admin is coming through, you know, and it's okay. That's another thing. When <laughs> I know I'm just telling everything, but I just feel like it's important. When your students know the truth, they can play the game with you. If they know, okay, when admin comes in, this is what they're looking for. So this is how I need you all to act, or this is what I need. They'll do it because in all honesty, they want you to be successful. As long as you want them to be successful and they know that you care for them, they're going to do for you as much as you do for them. And it's a game. Education is the biggest game of chess ever. You just need to know who the players are and how to play the game. Once you know how to play the game, you can do whatever it is you want. As long as you've been taking some breaks. Yes. 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 Because breaks are... And, you know, that's such a, it's a great message and very timely. Again, the the time this comes out, folks will be thinking about summer. And I know often there can be an inclination for me to see this as like catch up time or, you know, see the break for what it is. I think, um, you know, your message about prioritize health or your health is not going to give you an option. I think, you know, it has been true for myself, has been true for so many I know in education. So that is such a good reminder. Uh, Professor, folks who are listening and they want to reach out, connect with you about Live, Love, Teach, what is the best way for a school to be in touch to kind of expand on this discussion? Um, So I am on, first of all, if you just Google me, love saying that now like if you just google marlon hunter i am the only black one that pops up and now i'm number one so if you just put in marlon hunter 
it'll pop up. Um, but my email address is info at Miss M I S S Marla M A R L A Hunter H U N T E R dot com. Um, yeah. And if you just want to see the work that I'm doing, um, you can just type into Google Marla Hunter and I'll pop up. You'll see everything that I'm doing from education within a classroom, working with educators to the pool. Fantastic. And of course, we'll also be sure to leave that email address and your website in the show notes. Thank you so much for taking the time to share with us today. No, thank you. It's been great. Folks, be sure to head over to the show notes to follow Professor Marla Hunter and to learn all about the services that she provides. Thank you again for tuning into this podcast. See you again next Thursday.